Yo, very quiet this morning, eh? Yeah, let's go to our last, this is the last week as we're busy with Thessalonians. Are you happy that we're ending it or are you sad? <laughs> but uh, let's read from verses 12 and we're going to read to verses 22, 24 rather, of Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for evil, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is, the, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't, do not quench the Spirit. The King James Version says it much better here. Yeah? Uh, do not put out the spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to good. Avoid every kind of evil. I don't know whether I'm online. Am I online? May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's better, that sounds better. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. May God bless the reading of his precious word. The title of the message here this morning is Distinguishing Marks of a True Child of God. Marks of a True Child of God. Birds are known by their distinguishing marks. That is how you can tell one breed from another. Isn't it true? But I want to get straight into the word. What are the distinguishing marks of a true follower of Christ? How would you know a child of God if you actually spotted one? How would you know that that is a child of God if you actually spotted one? Or to put it in more personally, how can I know that I am a real Christian, a real child of God? Am I displaying marks of a person, first of all, who is blessed? Am I displaying marks of a person who is at peace? Am I displaying marks of a person who is teachable? Am I displaying marks of a person who radiates love, who radiates pure motives, who radiates perseverance, who radiates stability, humility, and doing what is right at any cost? Is that the testimony of yourself this morning? Is that our testimony? You see, the mark of a true Christian's, Christian face is that it changes everything you do and say from a negative to a positive. Are you in agreement with that? Psalm 119 verse 68 say, says it so beautifully. You are good. 
And what you do is good. Lord, what you do is good. You are good. And when I, as your child, find myself in whatever circumstances, somehow things begin to change for the better. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, and people often say, we know that verse very well, taste and see that the Lord is good. But what about the last part there? Blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him. And verse 10 or in that same chapter there of 34 says, the young lions grow weak and hungry, hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I want to say this when you're a child of the Lord, when you, when you are really committed to him, it affects every area of your life. Every area of your life makes a difference. Are you listening? Yes, the Christian faith is no faith at all if it is not practiced. And this is what we're going to do here this morning. And first of all, how do we practice it? We practice it, first of all, toward the leaders of the church. We're going to start there because it's right there in the text. We're not going to avoid it. Verses 12 and 13 speaks about respect. Towards the leaders of the church, respect. Think about that. Respect them. Hold them in highest regard. Be at peace with them and with one another. The great apostle begins with the leaders because that's where you have to begin in assessing the health of a church. Leaders are people who come from the church, from among us, who work among us, who stand or are placed over us, challenging us to grow in the faith. They are from among us and over the people of God. They are part of us. They work among us. They have authority over us. The word respect there literally means to know your leaders. I want to ask you, do you know your leaders this morning? You see their names, but do you know them personally? It means to recognize them for who they are. In the work of the Lord. To regard means to hold in the highest possible esteem. Living at peace just means just that, to live at peace. But respect your leaders. It says that respect your leaders. You see, relationships with church leaders, it matters. Do you have a relationship with your church leaders this morning? Not only the pastor and his wife, the church leaders, eh? The general thrust of Paul's message is quite clear. First, you need to know, as I said, said already, I want to repeat it, you need to know your spiritual leaders. Do you know who is teaching your children this morning? <laughs> eh? In the Sunday school? Do you know who leads Vector this morning? Do you know who leads Connect and Sold Out this morning? Have you ever tried to find the names of the leaders of the ministries that touch your family this morning? Have you ever found? You need to know them by name and pray for them by name. 
You didn't think we would get here this morning, eh? But that's what's in the, it's in the Bible there. Hold them in highest regard. Not only respect them, but hold them in highest regard. You need to pray for them. Hold them in highest regard and pray for them. That's the highest and best thing you can ever do for those who minister to you and your family. Now, I have to do this. Even if I, I, even if I try to avoid it, I have to ask you this question here this morning. Have you prayed for your pastoral family this morning? Today? I want to say this to you. We need the prayers of God's people all the time. But it's not only us. As the pastoral couple and the pastoral family, all the staff members, all the elders, all the deacons, all the teachers, all the life group leaders, all the ministry leaders, all the workers. We, we need your prayers that we might be men and women who are pleasing God. You don't think we would talk about this, eh? It's important for you to be reminded, to be reminded how, that it's vital for you to pray for. Don't think it's just an easy job. Being in a part of ministry is not a job. It's a ministry. It's, it's living for the Lord. You've got to set the tone. You've got to be the example. No leader is worth his salt or her salt if they are not living a life that sets the tone that is a real example to others. The people could say, that person is a godly example to me. But also we need to be living at peace. Are, we still, are you still with me? Living at peace means to, you speak highly of them and refuse to criticize them behind their backs. <laughs> you hear that, huh? Living at peace with them. Huh? Nothing is more evil. I want to say this. And I'm very serious about this. Nothing is more evil than gossiping church members who attack their leaders over the phone, over a meal. Just when they get together, nothing is more evil. I think it's better to leave a church than to stay and attack the leadership. That's my perspective as a pastor. It's not a sin to leave a church. But it is a sin to stay, stay and or, or or stay away even if you can put it there and sow discord in the body. I'm totally against that. I want to say this, and I say it, and I, I stand firmly on this. It's not a good thing. So don't sow seeds of discord. We are here together, working together, encouraging one another together. You don't have to agree with the leaders on everything. But you do have to respect them for the position God has given them. You see, God has given them that position. They've been chosen years by the church, but it was people have prayed. And I want to say this to you as leaders. God has given you that position. Honor God. Please Him. Don't try to please people. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion. I love the King James Version. He's not the author of confusion. NIV says of disorder, but of peace. He's not the author of confusion, 
but of peace. Let us live in peace with one another. Let us be at peace with one another. Let us be available to encourage and build up one another. I love that verse in Matthew 5, 9. We all know it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. I pronounce myself this way. Am I a person who brings peace? Does peace follow me because it lives in me? Or do other people in the home or in the workplace or wherever I find myself experience tension from me because of the turmoil that is in me? Now it goes further there. He starts, you know, in verse 12, says, Now we ask you, brothers. <laughs> Did you see that? It doesn't say brothers and sisters, uh, you know. We urge you, brothers. This job is for the whole church. He didn't say, I urge you, pastors. I urge you, elders. Paul didn't say that. He could have said that, but he said, This is for the whole church, brothers and sisters. Let us respect one another. Let us honor one another. Let us support one another. Let us be there for one another. Let us pray for one another. Let us be available to bring honor and glory to the Lord in one another's lives. Right. Can we go for, move on from that? What about the next one? Eh? Uh, we, uh, another mark is that... Of, towards the church family, not only towards the leaders. You got the picture of the leaders now. Now we're getting to the, towards the church family. Verses 14 to 15. Huh? And that is restore. If I could give a word for that, one word is restore. Paul now offers a fourfold description for us to follow. Warn those who are idle. It says that warn those who are idle. Those who are out of line, in other words. I can almost put it, the loafers. Are you a loafer this morning? What's up, you? You can take it or leave it. The disorderly, the undisciplined. The Greek word here is the word at, actus. Yeah, it's a difficult word, at, actus. It's a military term that refers to the soldier who broke rank and did not stand in his place. Keyword, stand in his place. Soldier broke rank. It's not standing in his place. I'm asking you this morning, are you standing in your place? Are you correctly positioned? Are you ready to trans- make a difference wherever you go? To be a transformation agent rather than a destructive agent. Stand in your place, my brother, my sister. It refers to those who are undisciplined and irresponsible. Soldiers who are idle because they are out of position. Can you remember David? He was idle and he was out of position. And we know what happens. Sometimes when we're out of position, we're not on our guards. That's when things begin to go wrong in our lives. <clears throat> Second Chronicles 20 verse 17 says, so we, 
you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. I ask you this morning. Hold your position. I challenge you. Hold your position. No matter what's happening around you. No matter how overwhelming your circumstances may appear to be. Hold your position. Are you holding your position this morning? Child of God, are you holding your position? Too many believers are not where they belong. They belong in the ranks. In the ranks of God's army. God's spiritual army. They belong there, but they are not there. Serving the Lord and ministering to others is so vital. Helping to reach the lost and the needy is so vital today. But they are not there. They are out doing their own thing. Fulfilling their own desires. They are treading on thin ice. They are damaging their own souls and hurting others through because of their poor testimony. You've been hurting others? Have you been hurting others? Because of your poor testimony. And because of you not being in position. Standing firm. And making a difference. Paul says we are to warn them. <laughs> oh, did you hear that? A better word is admonish them. Nice English word. Admonish them. We are to talk some sense into them, in other words. Talk some sense into them. That's the warning. Talk some sense into them. It's a better word, way to put it, eh? Warn them. Talk sense into them. I think that's, that's the meaning there. Talk some sense into them. That's one way. You can serve the Lord by carefully, lovingly, tactfully correcting and talking some sins into our fellow brothers and sisters. Have you done that lately? May the Lord use us more and more to do that. Second Peter 3 verse 17 says, Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away and fall from your secure position. Don't get carried away. So easy to get carried away when we begin to warn them, when we begin to speak to others, when we try to speak some sense into them. It's so easy to get carried away, but we've got to be secure in ourselves, secure in the Lord as well. There's got to be a security about us that is so strong and that is so positive that we are able to make a difference when we speak sense into the lives of others. You're going to be used this week. I guarantee you, one of you or some of you here today, you're going to be used this week to speak some sense into somebody this, this coming week, even maybe after the service. The Lord is going to use you. That's the word of when we talk about warning others. Speak sense into them. May the Lord use you to be an encouragement to that person. May the Lord use you to make a difference in that person's life. But then the other one is encourage the timid. Some people are timid. 
you know, they make excuses. They're afraid. But we've got to encourage them. The word is very unusual here. It literally means small-souled. You know, it seemed to me that from a Greek perspective, a person who is timid has a small soul. My goodness, I cannot even imagine that. Can you imagine that? Being small-souled. This group of people are easily discouraged and despondent. They are overwhelmed by stress and they are burdened with problems. But you've got to be there for them. It's a church family. It's God's family. You've got to be there for them. First Timothy 1 verse 7, you can quote that to them. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This especially includes those who shrink and crumble, finding the Christian life one continual struggle. You've got to be there for them. And encourage them. Hebrews 10, 38 says, But my righteous one will live by faith. But if he or she shrinks back, I will not be pleased. Those who fear difficult situations, they shrink back. Isn't it true? Those who fear to go through, through with, some, with something. Right? We, we need to be there for them. To encourage them. Paul says we are to encourage them. That is, we are to put courage into them. Did you hear that? When last have you put, gone to put courage into someone else? Someone who had no courage. And you, you, you went to this person, you encouraged this person, and suddenly the person had courage. The person was ready to face the challenges before them. The word means to find those people and to give them a little TLC. Did you hear that? When last did you give someone tender, loving care? You find someone who is down and discouraged, and you say, say to that person, we are going to walk through this together. Did you hear that? Together. We're walking through this together. Take a look around you this morning. You just have to take a look around you. There are people on every side of you who need the help only you can give them. Who needs the encouragement only you can give them. Go ahead. Do it. Don't wait for anyone else. Don't even wait for the pastor. Don't wait for the elders. Don't wait for the leaders. You do it yourself. Minister to them because the Lord wants to use you in their lives. All right, let's, can we move on? Are you still with me? Help the weak. It's quite a bit here, but we've got to finish it. I want to finish this today, so you will just have to bear with me today. Help the weak. With the 14C, Paul calls them the weak. It simply means those without strength. These are people who are a step beyond being timid. They have completely run out of gas. They are the ones who are exhausted. Those who are burned out. And worn out. I want to say that there are many of us here. We are so busy and we've, we, we've reached the point of burnout. And sometimes we feel, we feel we can't give more. Have you ever gone to that person? Just to be a blessing to that person. 
And I'm even speaking to myself when I say this. But here also with, with the weak, yeah, it's, it's, it's more than that. I've spoken about those who are drained and all. That's fine with those because they are following the Lord, but they, they are physically drained. But it goes further here, and I want to refer to the weak. They are morally and spiritually and physically not where they should be. They feel as if they cannot go on. But now Paul says, support the weak. The spiritually weak, those who yield so easily to temptation, support them, stand with them, encourage them, build them up. Those who are easily discouraged, defeated, and led astray. Those who are on the periphery, oh, they're so close to going either way, either for the Lord or not for, for the Lord. They're on the periphery. What do you do with them? Looking, searching, hurting. What are you doing with them? What have you done thus far with them? It's a very close, intimate term here, that word. Help them. Word means to cling to and hold to. Paul says, don't let the weak go. Hold them tight. Don't let them drift away. Pick them up and carry them along. Did you hear that? Carry them along. Pick them up. Don't leave them there. The weak needs us. The weak need us clinging to them and holding them up. They need our support. Yes, I know. You say you can't be weak all the time. There's some who are just weak all the time. That's a problem. And then you, that person definitely has a problem. But in this case here, yeah, there are people who need us this morning. And Romans 15 verse 1 says, We, we who are strong ought to bear with, the, with others. Bear with the weak, in other words. Let's bear with others. Let's be there for others. Let's pick them up. Let's encourage them. Let's walk with them. Let's minister to them in a positive way. Let's, let's go to the next one. Be patient. Still 14, dear. We're still there. Are you with me? Huh? For it has the idea here of being tough and durable under pressure. A patient, can you believe it? A patient person. Is, the patient, is that true? Being tough and durable under pressure. Because it uses the Greek word there, hupomone, I'm now going to, I'll explain it later. That of being tough and durable under pressure. Be slow to anger. I want to first get to that passion. Being Be slow to anger. Be slow to give up on that person. Don't lose your patience with that person as you, as you help them. Hey. Oh, this is a challenge for me. <laughs> to me. Don't lose your patience, Alan. <laughs> the word used for patience, again, is that word in Greek, hupomone, which describes not a passive patience, but the, the robust spirit, somebody with a robust spirit, a strong spirit, which can confront, in Greek they say that, which can confront the tides of doubt and sorrow and disaster and come out with faith stronger 
on the other side. Yo, that's a mouthful, eh? Did you get that? Confront the tides. What are the tides of doubts and sorrows that you are confronting this morning? Or maybe disaster or pain. What is it that you are confronting? No matter what those people, let's, get, let's think about those who are confronting those things and faced with this. How are you ministering to them as his child? In panic and in suffering, we say things in haste that we really don't mean. Isn't it true? We're sometimes too hasty. <laughs> Be patient and allow the Lord to work things out. Allow your character as you deal with others to testify for you rather than unwise reactions. Be patient. I can say so much more there, but I don't really want to get into this because we need to move on. But don't seek revenge. Be patient. Don't seek revenge. Verse 15, I said, don't retaliate. There are going to be people that hurt you. Your flesh is going to want to return the hurt back. But don't seek revenge. And go further. Don't, don't repay evil with evil. Be kind to everyone. It says, the temptation to bring about our own justice at times has got to be avoided. Yes, there will be a time when we will have that. But sometimes you've got to just wait for the right moment to bring about the justice. Isn't it true? Your men says to stove and dark near man. You'll let me some Afrikaans praat now, huh? Huh? But then thirdly and lastly, toward God, recharge. Verses 16 to 24. The real impact of the gospel in our lives will be seen when we don't feel joyful, when we don't want to pray, and when we can't think of a reason to be thankful that we are still thankful, we are still joyful, we are still praying. Isn't that true? The true life-changing power of Jesus Christ is revealed in those who are still able to be thankful, still able to be joyful regardless of the circumstances. When Jesus as Lord enters a life, he radically changes it from the inside out so that we have both the power and the desire to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks even in the worst of moments. Isn't it true? Are you in agreement? Hey? And now that is why the Apostle Paul says he uses that. Basically, he's using the word con continually do this. Do this continuously. But I'm going to just use the word continually. Continually rejoice, verse 16. Continually be joyful. Be joyful always. What others see in us is proof of the power of what God is able to do. Some Christians seem to think they have a sacred duty to be gloomy. Have you met those Christians? Sacred duty to be gloomy. Hey, I, I can't even... It's just so unnatural to be gloomy. I can't even uh, demonstrate it to you. <laughs> but some think they have a sacred duty to be gloomy. My, my dear friends, brothers and sisters, you may rejoice, you know. 
you may rejoice. You may be joyful. God has laid no embargo on rejoicing. In other words, he puts no restrictions on rejoicing. On us being joyful. There is no biblical proof of God commanding you to be miserable. Is there any word in the Bible? Be miserable. Be miserable. Be miserable. Huh? Is there any word like that in the Bible? Huh? Come on, you must tell me. <laughs> when people look at you, do they see a shining face? Or a gloomy face? We will find reasons to rejoice everywhere if we only have eyes to see. You know, you know whenever, just look at things. Just look at life. Look at where you are at this moment. Think of your family. Think of every blessing that he has poured out on your life. Think of your health this morning. There's so much to be joyful about. And yet we find some people walking. Ooh, who's that? What's happening there? Some people walking around with a gloomy face. Eh? That's not with a miserable attitude. I want to ask you, when people look at you, do they see, do they see joy? Or what is it that they see? First Peter 1 verse 8 speaks about an inexpressible, glorious, triumphant, heavenly joy. That's what the Amplified Version says inexpressible, glorious, triumphant, heavenly joy. Is that what you possess as his child this morning? Philippians 3 verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul says. Finally, despite everything, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Then Philippians 4 verse 4, all of us know that verse. Rejoice in the Lord. And I say it again. Rejoice. We are supposed to be continually rejoicing. Are you continually rejoicing? There are challenges, yes. There are, there are difficulties from time to time. But are you continually rejoicing? Secondly, continually pray. Verse 17. When, when it comes to communication with God, you know, this is a tough one eh, for many of us. Eh? We are always to be online. Are you online with him all the time? You're not say, nobody's shaking their head, so it seems to me there's nobody online with the Lord here today. Eh? To pray without ceasing means to keep it as our regular habit of life in all circumstances. Again, the apostle sets the example in so many ways, uh, praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing is compared to a net, someone said, used to catch fish. When a net functions properly, it lets the water flow through while catching the fish. But if there's a hole in the net, what happens? The fish will go free. The same is true when we pray. There are to be no holes in our prayer nets. Is there a hole in your prayer net this morning? How are you praying? Is there a hole? What is that hole like? It is so big that things just seem to filter through and filter through important things. 
I pray that there are no holes in your prayer net this morning. Prayer is like having a phone connection, my brothers and sisters, that is open 24 hours a day. So you don't have to punch in the numbers. In the past, we used to dial those numbers. We don't dial anymore. Those phones are gone. Eh? Some places probably still have the dialing. William says probably still have the dialing system or is it only punching now. <laughs> we just have to punch in the numbers. You just start talking. And as we face each new challenge of the day, prayer will carry us through. Are you carried by prayer daily? Man, I'll tell you, I can't live without prayer. I don't know about you. Are you carried by prayer daily? We should never take our blessings for granted or think that we somehow deserve them. We don't deserve them. Everything that we have, everything that we are blessed with, we don't deserve it. And yet, because of His grace, because of his grace, we are so blessed. Scientists wanted to experiment once, and I want to explain this, to discover what took place in the human brain at the moment of transition from life to death. And I'm doing, giving you the shortened version here. A lady was selected who had a disease in her brain. The necessary wires were connected to a to ascertain what would take place as the last moments of this woman's earthly life arrived. She began to pray aloud and praise God. Suddenly they heard, the scientists heard this clicking sound and they, they looked up and the power of the brain, there was so much power emerging from the brain, it just went higher and higher, the vaults just went higher and higher and higher. As the last moments of this woman's earthly life arrived, she began to realize, realize that only God and God alone is important. And these scientists re recorded that the brain of a woman alone while dying, eh? and in communication with God, they discovered it registered more than 55 times the power used by a 50 kilowatt station in sending a message around the world. Now that sounds impossible, but it is possible. Prayer is powerful. That's what I want to say. You might say, I want to repeat this. That's what they saw. Scientists tested this. And they discovered that more, that 55, you know, that they registered more than 55 times the, they registered more than 55 times the power used by a 50 kilowatt station in sending a message around the world. They, they saw that as the power went up, while this woman was praying, it's power in prayer, brothers and sisters. You cannot limit God. God is able to do the impossible. They were baffled. In fact, I believe that those scientists, most of those scientists were weeping with tears in their eyes and they, they surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ after they encountered this. Who wouldn't? You tell me. Matthew 7, verse 7, what a privilege. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Pray. Trust God. Seek his face. Look to him. 
Let's bow in prayer. And then, oh, thirdly and almost through, continually give thanks, verse 18, in everything, not for everything. Did you hear that? In everything, give thanks. Not for everything. We can't give thanks for everything. Isn't it true? Oh, you're saying, thank, thank him for his presence and power as we walk through those trials. Thank him for that. I'm walking through this trial, Lord. I thank you. In Christ there is victory and triumph over all, no matter how terrible the circumstances. If you refuse to give thanks in every situation, you are virtually saying that you know better than God who runs the universe. But by giving thanks, when we don't feel like it, we are saying that God's wisdom is greater than ours. That's a simple act of giving thanks in the midst of sorrow and heartache. And this is a testimony worth 10,000 words. How do I do this? In a practical sense, first, thank him for your blessings. Secondly, thank him for how he has helped you in your trials. Thirdly, thank him for his presence every day. Fourthly, thank him for his promises for, for this future that he has for you. As a Christian, your whole life is to be one great thank you, Lord. Is that your life this morning? Yes. Can you say that? My life is one great thank you, Lord. You've done it again. Thank you, Lord. You've made a way again. Thank you, Lord. You've stepped in once again. Thank you, Lord, for being my Savior, my Deliverer, my Father, my Helper. Thank you, Lord, for carrying me. This is the will of God. In Christ Jesus, the Bible says there, Ephesians 5.20 says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Let's always do that. Now, what is the will of God? The will of God is to continually rejoice, to continually pray, to continually give thanks, and lastly, to continually be spiritually discerning. Verses 19 right through to 24. And that word there, do not quench the spirit, means do not suppress the spirit. Suppressing the spirit is one of the major sins against the Holy Spirit. To quench means to stifle, to snuff out, in other words, to extinguish. To stop. When the fire of the Spirit begins to move in a church, the results may be so supernatural at times that some believers may be tempted to quench the work of the Spirit. But I know that if that happens, we know that this is a God thing. Particularly if it's a God thing, we cannot do anything about it. How might that happen when we quench the Spirit? First, you might do it by quenching the Spirit's work in your own life. That happens whenever we say no to God. Perhaps He is calling you to take a step of faith, to follow His divine guidance, to move out, on your, out of your comfort zone, rather. To exercise your gifts in a brand new way, to demonstrate the reality of forgiveness and reconciliation in broken relationships. Maybe that's what he's asking you to do. But saying no in those situations, it's like throwing cold water on the fire 
of the Holy Spirit. Want u rampen weer, mensen. Don't be surprised when your life begins to grow cold. And then the second one is, you might do it by stopping the Spirit's work in someone else's life. The believer quenches the Spirit's work by ignoring him, neglecting him, disobeying him. I know I'm giving you such a lot of him, I don't know whether you will remember half of this. And, and you know, and by even procrastinating, we are, we are actually quenching the Spirit of the Lord. But there's, a, there's one sin that, that is unforgivable. We know that that blas- blasphemy against the, the Spirit. But you know why? It is, is, it is a tongue sin that is unpardonable. What have you said? What are your tongue sins this morning? Things that you've said that have really been blasphemous. 